Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Hey, good morning. Good to see everybody. If this is your first time here, my name is Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at the Vineyard, and so good to uh, see all of you guys. And uh, wow, look how many people actually got up early. This is great. We were in California all week, so we were already lagging three hours. And then I don't know why the Vineyard does our leadership meetings like that, right? When the time change comes and just like add another hour to it and make me lag more, you know. But I'm glad all of you guys made it out. We are launching a new series today as we head uh, toward that wonderful time of the year, Easter. And uh, let me ask you this as we start into this. Um, Have you guys ever met anybody famous? How many people have met someone? Now, that word famous is relative, right? But, But somebody you would say... Man, I've really always wanted to meet that person. Let me see. Look at that. Look at amazing. I wish we had time to go around the room because uh, it would be really interesting to know who all you guys have met. Um, you know, my famous people are people you don't know. The people that I met, they're, they're all musicians and surfers. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, I met, you. some of you won't even know this band, but a friend of mine who's a, a pretty well-known musician uh, took me to see Jethro Tull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, got we went backstage. You know, we had the backstage passes. We went backstage and got to talk to Ian Anderson, and then I got to to hang out with their uh, lead guitarist and and talk for like an hour and a half about guitars and all of this stuff, and and it was just great. And then um, surfers, like you won't know them, but there was a guy named Yancey Spencer who. Uh, his daughter's a kind of a famous actress now, but Yancey gave me my first Bible, and uh, at a U.S. Championships one year, he gave me a surfer's Bible. It had a picture of a guy getting barreled on the front of it, <laughs> and we were in the same heat. We were surfing against each other, and so he gave me that Bible on the beach. And, and uh, those are kind of those are my famous people. I know it's you know, but do you have someone you want to meet? Do you have a famous person that, if you got, you like, I just hope I get to meet them in this lifetime. Someone alive now, not someone who's already gone, but someone who's alive. Do you have someone? Anybody got a list, like a bucket list of famous people you want to meet? Yeah, well, let me ask you this question. How do you know they're real? You've seen pictures, right? You've seen them maybe on television. How do you know they actually exist? You've never met them, right? You want to meet them, but you've never met them. And my grandmom, who I found out after she lived to be 101 years old, and after she passed, we found a a Bible, and she had my name written where she'd been praying for me for all these years, which I never knew, really. And uh, But she was a wonderful woman, hardworking woman. But you know what? When people went to the moon, she just couldn't believe it. She told me, she says, there is no way. Anybody could ever go to the moon, much less walk on it. It's just, she thought it was uh, just this conspiracy, you know, that by the government they would set it up. And, and no matter how much I said, you know, Grandma, you know, they went to the moon. It's awesome, you know. Like, no way, don't believe it, you know. But uh, she just could not, she could not pass that line between doubting it, not believing it, and deciding, you know what, this really happened. 
And it is kind of interesting the criteria we all use to make a decision on what we think is true and real and what isn't. We all have a certain screen and grid that we pass information through. Some of the things we believe, in all honesty, we want to believe, right? We want, we hope it's true. And so that kind of propels us a little bit more forward in, in making those decisions. So this series is really about us taking a look at that, taking a look at our doubts. I think doubts are healthy. I think they're good. I think if you don't have doubts in your life, then uh, you're not processing. All of us have doubts, and we, we shouldn't fear the doubts. We should actually lean into them, ask ourselves the questions. What would it take to answer maybe the questions of this doubt that I have, and then uh, propel ourselves on into it? So I hope you'll take what we're going to talk about over the next four weeks as we head into Easter, and you'll get in a small group or start one, get together, and, uh, and discuss this. Throw out your doubts and talk about them and how you make decisions. And so uh, you've got a handout on the back side, or on the back side of your handout, there's a fill-in if you uh, want to follow along with me. And, and I want to say this, today as we launch this, uh, I'm not using as much scripture as I usually do. And because I'm looking at some sources outside of the Bible most of the way through this, because we're looking at the doubt of even believing Jesus existed at all. Like, that, I mean, was, is this guy a legend, a ghost? Is he just something that people talk about? Or, you know, how did this happen? Maybe the guy never even really existed. So I am going to use some scripture, but I want you to know if you go to this church, you know I love the Bible. And uh, we teach through it and we preach from it. And so, but when we're getting started here, I may use a little more sources outside of it than I normally do. But I want to pray and then we're going to jump into this. So if you can flip your hand out over, grab a pen and track along, uh, we're going to have a good time. Father, thank you for your uh, word. Thank you for giving us our brain, Lord, to think the ability to process information. But also, Lord, thank you for our hearts, that deep part of us, our spirit. That you minister to as well. Like just a moment ago in worship. As we're singing those songs God. You pierce into beyond even our thinking processes at times. And you capture our heart in such a way it's almost indescribable. Thank you for that aspect too. But Lord as we lean into this this morning. I ask for you to open our hearts and our minds. To consider and to celebrate Lord where we see evidence and also to ponder when we see evidence that we're not quite there so father help us today in jesus name amen, amen. well i want to launch today from this scripture matthew 16 15 it'll be on the screens as well it is on your handout and uh this is jesus really asking the ultimate question matthew 16 15 the jewish leaders came to jesus to test him Jesus challenges them, warns them, and reminds them of the miracle they had seen. And the scene changes as Jesus comes to Caesarea Philippi, where he turns to his disciples and asks this. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Son of Man is Jesus' favorite term for himself. That's, he used it more than anything because he was equating himself with us and this God incarnate in humanity. And so he's relating to us in that term and that title. Who do people say the Son of Man is? They reply, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. 
And uh, as the passage goes on, he turns to Peter, if you remember this well, and he looks at Peter and he says, but who do you say I am? To his closest, one of his closest disciples and friends. And that is the question. Who do you say Jesus is? That is the ultimate question of everything that we, we in the church, we that believe in Christ, that is the ultimate question. And that is the question that I believe every single person has to eventually answer. Who do you say Jesus is? And um, I want to say this as a disclaimer up front, too, because I'm no scholar. I'm no historian. I'm a pseudo wannabe scholar. I read a lot, a real lot, and I have an insatiable appetite for going after things. Uh, I, I just want to dig, 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 dig. I wish I would gotten this hunger back when I was in high school. Unfortunately... <laughs> In high school, my mind was on other things, <laughs> lots of other things, and, uh, and even into college for a few years, and until this Jesus apprehended me. And, uh, and so, uh, but now, I, I just don't want you to think I'm coming off as an expert, because I'm not. I, I'm, a, I'm a seeker, I'm a disciple, I'm a student just like you guys, and uh, I just am blessed to be able to have the time because of your kindness and because of what God has done to be able to read a lot and to to dig into this. So what I'm passing on is what I dig into, and I hope you will too. So your first, your first fill in here is this, that there is no doubt from ancient non-Christian sources that Jesus existed. There's no doubt. If you dig into this and you do the reading, and I probably should put a bibliography together or something to put into your hands if you want to read more. But I'm going to give you just a couple of examples this morning. No doubt from ancient non-Christian sources. These are sources that didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. These are ancient sources close to the time of Jesus' life. Uh, There was one guy named Tacitus who wrote and lived in like 55 to 120 A.D. era. He was known as the greatest historian of ancient Rome. And he was known for his moral integrity and his essential goodness. So he had a great, he had a great rep. I mean, Tacitus did. And in some of his writings from this era, now, we think maybe Jesus was crucified around A.D. 30, something like that. So A.D. 55 to 120, not that, not that far away, right? Not that far away, 20, 25, 30 years. Do you remember 25, 30 years ago? I mean, my dad, who served in World War II, when he tells me his stories, I believe him. And that was 50, you know, 60, 70 years, 75 years ago from me. But it's within that realm of time when I can trust what he says. You get this? This is, this, these are people documenting things that they had heard and seen. And so here's a quote from Tacitus. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of our procurators, Pontius Pilatus, and a most mischievous superstition. Guess what that was? A mischievous superstition. Yeah, you know, the rumor that he rose from the dead. Thus unchecked for the moment. 
again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. (laughs) Yeah, he had a way with words, didn't he? And and so Tacitus, back within 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of Jesus, and definitely not a believer, not a believer, a historian, makes reference to at least this. Christus, Christ, died due to crucifixion. That was, you know, the most severe penalties as Tacitus was talking about. And also that there was this rumor of some type of really weird thing happening. And, uh, you know, there's so much that, that he has written and that can be, uh, you guys can seek out and I can put you onto the books that just is another witnessing source. Now, don't let this stuff bore you, please, because here's the way I see these things. It's like a stake in the ground, right? When I, when I came to know Christ, it wasn't from the facts. Jesus just swept into a ratty hotel room in Atlantic Beach, North Carolina, at a surfing contest when a friend of mine told me about Jesus. And Jesus swept in, grabbed my heart, did an amazing thing, has been doing it ever since then, working on my heart. But since then, what has happened is all of these, this information and the facts is like taking a stake in the ground. Jesus took the stake, placed it right in my life. But every time I discover something, it's another wham of the hammer into the faith. Another sinking it deeper, sinking it deeper. Oh man, I didn't know that. Bam. So this builds our faith as well. And so when I tell you numbers and facts and names and, and uh, some of you are, might like, uh, you know, drift a little bit. Just see the hammer, you know, or if you're in that doubting stage and you're not quite there yet, look at it as, I need to consider that. Oh, I didn't know that. Maybe I need to think a little more about this claim of Jesus being who he said he was. And so... Just hang in there with me. There's another guy that's well known through, uh, you know, during this era, and that is Josephus. And I've got his writings in my, in my office, and maybe some of you have read some of his. And this was written somewhere around, this is Josephus, great name. Uh, I should have named one of my sons that. Um, Josephus Holt, sounds good, doesn't it? Uh, AD 37 to 97. So, you know, we're still within that great range, and this ancient culture was an oral culture. In other words, they passed on stories and they passed on information. They didn't have a lot of writings until the historians came along and documented it. So when they passed on stories, they were a lot more accurate than the way we do them. You know, we evangelistically talk about things sometimes and we stretch and the stories get changed as they're passed one to the other. But in this, in this ancient uh, world, they were passed on with accuracy and people were, they made sure that the stories were correct as they were passed on and then they were written down. But Josephus, who was a Pharisee at the age of 19, imagine his fervor, uh, he served as a commander under Vespasian and uh, after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, which is a historical fact, which by the way, Jesus prophesied would happen. 70 AD, he moved to Rome and became the court historian for Vespasian. So here's one of his quotes. Listen to this. The brother of Jesus, who's he talking about? James, right? 
the brother of Jesus who was called Christ. Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was one who wrought surprising feats. He was Christ or the Christ. He appeared to them alive again the third day as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. So Josephus, and there's, again, his, the book is about that thick of his writings, and uh, declares to us and documents to us that Jesus was known as a wise and virtuous man who did good. Jesus was the brother of James. Why is that important? James, Jesus' half-brother, because James thought Jesus was crazy until the resurrection. You can read it. You ever read this book? It's in there. And I mean, James and his brothers and the family would sit back and watch their big brother preach, and they would go, what happened to him? He's lost it. He's just lost it. And so James... Uh, which we will talk about in the coming weeks, James, after the resurrection, became a leader in the church, eventually gave his life for Christ. Even And so Josephus is mentioning James for a reason, because this half-brother who thought he, his brother was crazy is now stepping up. And uh, Jesus was the brother of James. I got into a, a, I tell you guys this all the time, I, I, I love to do Twitter because I get into some great conversations and I have some atheist friends that um, I get into some great conversations with. And I got in one a couple of weeks ago with a guy who told me Jesus, uh, that there was more evidence for the orange monster than there was for Jesus. And so I asked him, I said, tell me your documents for the the orange monster. This goes along with the flying spaghetti monster that is so often mentioned if you read any, or maybe you have thought the same. And so he sends me these four These four books with the titles. Well, these four books are fantasy novels about the orange monster. And I'm sure they're really good reads and fun reads, but that's a little bit different than what we're talking about here. And uh, unfortunately, he got so rude and so uh, condescending that I couldn't carry much of a conversation on with him. Uh, But this is just one of many Josephus and Tacitus. There's Suetonius, Thallus, Pliny the Younger the emperor Trajan, the emperor Hadrian, the Talmud, the Jewish oral tradition even has Christ mentioned in it. The Taladoth Jesu, which is an anti-Christian document from this era, era, mentions Jesus. And so if you have any doubts that you think Jesus, the man Jesus himself, did not exist and he's just a legend or just a ghost, please do your reading. Because there is not any really serious scholar on either side of this issue who would say he's a myth. He never existed. So that's one thing. Now, your second feeling is this. There's no doubt also from ancient Christian non-biblical sources. This is, these are people who documented and wrote, but it's not in the Bible, not just the Bible. Because one of the things we always get a, kind of attacked with is Man, all you have is the Bible. Well, actually, that would be great for me now. Um, But that's not all we have. That's not all we have as far as any evidence that there was a man named Jesus Christ who had a profound effect on the world and who was a good man and who was crucified. All of those are well documented. So 
these sources from the ancient uh, Christian non-biblical, I'm just going to give you a couple as each. One is from a guy named Clement. Clement of Rome. Clement of Rome. And this is writing during the era of AD 90 to 125. Uh, AD 90 still within the time frame of being able to remember and pass on the information and document the information. He was the leading elder at the church at Rome. Um, he was writing a letter called Corinthians uh, to deal with to the elders and to the church dealing with some problems in a local church, imagine that, between the leaders and the members. And so he was writing to the elders of the church, and he's writing to the members of the church when he wrote this. The apostles received the gospel from us, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was sent forth from God. So then Christ is from God, and the apostles are from Christ. Both, therefore, came of the will of God in the appointed order. Having therefore received a charge and having fully assured through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and confirmed in the word of God with full assurance of the Holy Ghost, they went forth with the glad tidings that the kingdom of God should come. I love that. So preaching everywhere in country and town, they appointed their first fruits when they had proved them by the Spirit, talking about the leaders in the church, to be bishops and deacons unto them that believe. Again, this is around A.D. 90, 125, and this is outside of Scripture. And what do we learn in this? We learned that we just got through doing eight weeks in the Lord's Prayer, right? It's awesome. But we learned that from Clement, this early stage of the church's life, that the good news was of the kingdom of God, was the major message of Christ and the major message of the church during that period of time. And we learn from this that Jesus was believed in the early church to be exactly who he said he was and that the gospel had been given to the apostles and then the apostles by Jesus himself and then the apostles passed it on to the next group of leaders and the next group of leaders and the next group of leaders and here we are at this stage early on in the church's life. And this is what he is appealing. Clement is appealing to this to remind the church to come back under this. Hey, this is what we're about. And so... That's in addition to what we read in the scripture. Your second example here comes from about 110 to 115 AD, the writings, and it's by a guy named Ignatius. Ignatius. Ignatius was the bishop of Antioch, and uh, he was condemned to death by Rome and in Rome. And on his way to execution, he wrote seven letters to six churches and one to another leader in the church named Polycarp who happened to be a disciple of John. And these seven letters are, we have, I mean, and here's, I mean, he's on his way to be executed for his faith, and he writes these letters. And he writes, Jesus Christ, who was of the race of David, who was the son of Mary. How's that for some documenting? Who was truly born and ate and drank, was truly persecuted under Pontius Pilate, was truly crucified and died in the sight of those in heaven and on earth and those under the earth, who moreover was truly raised from the dead, his father having raised him, who is the like fashion will so in like fashion will so raise us also who believe in him. Now, this isn't a recent development, these doctrines of the church, these beliefs, bam, I'm just, you know, I hope you feel that state. Mm, man. It's like, yeah. Every time I read something like this, mm, 
Bam. You know, we learn from this that Jesus was from David, just like the scripture tells us, and just like the Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would come from David. Here we have another outside of the Bible source saying this, that he was born of Mary, that he lived, he ate, he drank, he walked the earth. Jesus was crucified, dead at the hands of Pontius Pilate. Bang, bang. Jesus was raised from the dead, and this is a guy on his way to his execution. I can almost... I can almost hear him and Ignatius driving that stake deeper into his own faith and his own confidence as he makes his way to to be executed. Like, yes, this is true. This is true. This is my Lord. This is my Savior as he makes his way. And there are others too. Like, uh, I love some of these ancient names. I wish I'd have known these. Uh, Quadratus. Quadratus. Man, Quadratus Holt. Hmm. Um, (laughs) Barnabas, and one of the most famous one, Justin Martyr. Uh, all of these historians and writers back from those ancient times. And so there's, you know, here we have, they're Christian sources, but they're outside the scripture. And the next one are, and I'm only going to use one scripture for this, and that is there's no doubt from ancient Christian sources. And I want to go back to a passage of scripture. No doubt from ancient Christian sources. And this is uh, in your scripture. Paul uh, wrote a letter to a church in a city called Corinth around 54, uh, 55 AD. So Jesus crucified 30 AD. We're still talking, what, just a few years, right? 24, 25 years or so when this letter was written. And he writes in 1 Corinthians 15 in your Bible or on your phone. And verses 3 through 8, there is a section of scripture which is known as the oldest creed in the church. And here's what Paul wrote. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, And then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. He doesn't mean asleep on the job. Then he appeared to James. There's James again, right? As a testimony, as a declaration. Here's the doubting brother that didn't believe it. To James, well, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. If you know Paul's life, there's, by the way, there's a movie coming out, Easter, week before Easter on Paul's life. The, the trailer looks awesome. It looks amazing from Luke's perspective and how he documented the writings of Paul and Paul's life and all. It looks really fantastic. But notice it says, received and passed on. Now, that's, that means it was a tradition. That means that Paul did not come up with this. This section. It means that this... See, over in Galatians 1, we find out that Paul went to Jerusalem to meet with Peter, to meet with James. Because Paul came to Christ probably somewhere around three years after the crucifixion, three to six years, somewhere along in that when Jesus appeared to him. And so he, because he used to persecute We're going to talk more about Paul in the weeks ahead. He used to persecute the Christians. He goes to meet with the leaders, those that knew Jesus, and walk with him. He goes with them to say, is my thinking right? Is my theology right? Am I getting this right? Because he wants to hear it from them. And we believe that's when he passed 
They pass this creed along. This creed, this section of scripture is older than the New Testament. It was written before the New Testament was written. And it was passed on, tradition passed on to Paul. And uh, so, you know, it's just to me crazy. It's three years after Paul's conversion. He does all of this. And uh, it verifies from those who saw Jesus that he appeared to Peter, that he appeared to the 500, 500 people, just as we've read in Scripture. And this is all documented within a few years of it happening. Now, one scholar says the New Testament is easily the best attested ancient writing in number of manuscripts. In old, uh, if you're doing history and you're looking at some of the ancient texts by famous people, if you have 20 copies of an ancient text, from someone, they say it's reliable. Do you know how many copies we have of the New Testament? 5,000. 20, if you're doing historical studies, says take this seriously. We have 5,000 different copies of the New Testament. For most ancient classical works, they say if there's a gap of 700 years or less, 700 years, that's a long time, right? But if a copy's been made at 700 years, they can trust it. 700 years. Well, the New Testament was written within 100 to 150 or less years, the copies we have. I don't know why the schools don't tell you these things, right? I mean, check it out for yourself. Check it out for yourself. Jesus lived on the earth. He lived this life. He was crucified and something big happened. Something happened to change James from being the brother who thought his brother was crazy to being willing to lead the church and give his own life for it. Something amazing happened. Something amazing happened to Peter who denied Christ and ran off. And then the next thing we know, he's giving his life and he's preaching in the streets. What happened to these men? What happened to these women that turned them? We have historical Evidence that Jesus came, he lived, he was a good man, and something amazing happened. Now, you have a choice. You know, you have really three choices, and this is, these are your last three ends. One is you can disregard all of this. You can disregard all of it. You can just push the facts and the figures and the evidence right on out. You can deny it, and you can continue to doubt it. You can do that. that that's, that's your privilege. Or you can decide to pursue it, to seek this out, to say, mate, Tim, I'm not there yet, but I'm willing to look. Hey, look, look, pursue it, pursue it. But to disregard it, to disregard something that has been given so much proof, if you want to call it that, or at least enough information for you to say there's something to this, to me, don't insult your intellect that much by doing that. Don't think you're not smart enough to take evidence and then consider it. Can I say that gracefully to you? <laughs> consider it. Take it in. And for those of you who do believe, let that spike be nailed deeper into the faith that you have. Those of us who came to Christ not because of facts, not because of figures, because that doesn't save us. It is the very offering of God's salvation to us through what He has done. But this helps drive the stake deeper into the ground. When you have your doubts, when you run through times of wondering if God is around, if he's doing anything, you go back to these. I do. I go back. I'm like, no. Jesus. Yes. 
Yes, yes. I'm standing in a line of people for the last 2,000 years who can say, I believe, I believe. There's evidence and I believe. Or the last one is you can decide to accept it. You can this morning say, okay, this is not a myth. Jesus wasn't a, a legend. He wasn't some ancient hoax. There's something to this. And if this is real, that changes everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. My prayer is, God, that those who have not yet made that decisive step have not responded to your call in their life that this morning maybe that's a piece of them stepping right over that line to say okay God because Lord you choose and you woo Lord you're the one who calls and I believe in the hearts of those that you are wooing and you are calling this morning they know that Lord Every man and woman and young person that's in here, Father, I believe they know whether you're wooing, they feel the tug by you to come, to come. And so maybe this is a piece of that decision. You go from doubting to deciding this morning. And it's important as we continue to pray, it's important that you respond to this. It's important that you take a hammer and you nail this thing down into your life and you make a statement of faith by saying that's me to God I receive your gift Lord this morning and I want to pray for you would you lift your hand and say that's me this morning yes just yes thank you Father thank you Lord come Jesus thank you Lord Holy Spirit now we have we talked about facts and people and history and now there are those in this room who have said yeah, I'm passing over that part and now I'm moving into the part where I believe where I decide to trust you I pray now your presence Lord in their heart that you would come and you would confirm to them they have passed from darkness to light in this moment Lord thank you Father And for those of us who are hitting a moment in our lives, those of us who are believers, but we're like, man, I'm really in a shaky place. Can you raise your hand? You're like, I'm in a doubting place, Tim. That's where I am. My faith is being challenged. I'm in like, I'm, I'm in a wavering position. It's okay. Yeah, I admit it. We all hit those spots, every single one of us. So it's okay. It's all right to say that's where I am. Thank you. Those of you who just said that's us. Lord, we ask for you to come and you would drive the stake of our faith and, Lord, the assurance of our salvation deeper into the ground of our lives now. Come, Lord. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.